0: Welcome and bienvenue to Emily is Not in Paris, the podcast, where we investigate why and how people move to France. This podcast hopes to demystify the allure of navigating French society as a foreigner. Through conversations with people who have spent a considerable amount of time in France, whether three months, three years, or a lifetime, we plan to understand how France changed their scope on life and the work that they do. My name is Fatima Kenadiabi, and I am a native New Yorker who moved to Paris about five years ago on a whim. As each year passes by, I wonder what motivates people to dig roots in France. And so I decided to start this podcast. Subscribe to this podcast where all podcasts can be found. Merci and thank you. Jamie Nukovist is a Finnish American from Helsinki who came to France at the tender age of 18 for college. Five years later, She's a young entrepreneur with her own digital marketing agency, Yellow Digital. Hi, Jamie. Thank you so much for being here today. Hi, thanks for having me. Very excited. My pleasure. So to get things started, I want to ask you first, how did you end up in Paris at 18?
1: Yeah, so well, I came for university. That's a short story. I went to the American University of Paris. Long story is I actually had to come to Paris when I was a kid. I was around 12 years old. And me and my mom were on the bus to the Louvre. And I told her, I think I'm going to live in Paris when I get older. <laughs> so uh, since then, I guess I when I was about to go to university, I remembered, right,
0: right. There was something I wanted to do when I was younger. You came to Paris for school. So what exactly did you study and and why Paris?
1: Yes. So I came... Well, yeah, I came to study and I studied film and that was my major. And then I minored in global communications and I actually wanted to do more practical filmmaking, but then I ended up falling in love with the more academic side of film. So the film studies.
0: And when you were studying film studies, did you study a lot of French films or was it more so centered on uh, global films, global cinema, or really just American cinema?
1: Well, um, I don't know if I'm going to be plugging the university here, but there's a lot of different classes you can take. And so I specifically chose certain um, like certain classes that aligned with my interests. So they do actually offer a French cinema class, but that would actually was taught half in French, half in English. And at that point, I didn't speak enough French to actually uh, go into the class. But we did speak a lot about French cinema because the French New Wave is such an important film movement and you have to discuss it you can't just like glaze over it
0: definitely definitely I also studied film studies here in France and I I remember that my classes they seem to be really fascinated about American cinema and so it was funny because I spent like a summer trying to prepare every little detail or understand what was you know the French new wave and whatnot because Mm -hmm. I you know it's really important for uh, the cinema scene here as well as the U.S. cinema scene I mean it's influenced so many different things. So that's super cool. So what was it like being a college student in Paris?
1: Yeah, so being a college student in Paris was absolutely amazing. I mean, A, I was able to use Paris as my campus, which is you know pretty unique for the American University of Paris. But mostly what I wasn't expecting at all was the Parisian nightlife. Um, the thing is like during the day, I feel like people are, I mean, you know, people are busy and they're doing things and whatnot, but during the night people are, they have no inhibitions. They're so accepting. They're so willing to bring you along on adventures with them in ways that I definitely not expected. I mean, the amount of wild nights that I had planning, doing nothing. I literally had no plans at all that night and they just went completely crazy. I, yeah, that definitely, that has shaped my experience. A lot and it was it was great it's obviously amazing just being able to be yourself and discover yourself as a young person in a city rather than in a in a university
0: definitely I think the horizons are greater when you're dealing with a city versus just a college campus regardless of yeah. how big or how small that college campus is so it's cool yeah I kind of wish I went to college <laughs> in a big city I went to college in the middle of nowhere 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 <laughs>
1: Interest. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I'm sure that was also like an experience in itself. You know, you, you learn yourself in a whole different way and you experience life in a, in a different way.
0: Yeah, yeah definitely. Were your parents really supportive of this idea or were they like, go spread your wings? Um. Well, my mom
1: has always been a very spread your wings type of gal. <laughs> She loves exploring options and possibilities. And, you know, my dad really wishes I was in Finland. Um, I have my little sister there. She's six. And, you know, it's a family tie. And, you know, his his whole family lives in Finland. Nobody's ever moved out. But my mom, for example, she was an expat from the U.S. to Finland over 30 years ago. So she understands what it's like to, you know, want to try something new in another country.
0: think that's really interesting the fact that your mom is an expat and now you are essentially Mm -hmm. also an expat so you kind of I'm sure now you're probably like comparing notes with your mom like mom how did you do it how did you learn you know a foreign language how did you manage etc things like that oh I mean yeah she has plenty of plenty of stories and
1: yeah we relate we relate to each other now definitely on a whole new level
0: and did you speak French upon arrival or did you learn along the way no, no, I spoke no French. I Actually, took six years of Spanish,
1: which did not help. Um, but I luckily I took A one and A two classes, so I got the basics pretty fast. But
0: yeah, no French at all. <laughs> pretty brave. That's it. I, I. I'm like so impressed by people who literally come here not knowing any French whatsoever. Because for me, it, learning a language seems so daunting.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: But no, in France, you have to learn the language.
1: I mean, I I don't know. The only way I wouldn't have learned French is if I actually refused. It just keeps on coming. Like every day I learn new words, new tenses, everything. I mean, it's funny because I didn't move to France necessarily thinking I'm moving to France, if that makes sense. I didn't think of all the the language component components or anything. Um, because I'm a, I'm an EU citizen. So I just kind of assumed moving to another EU country was just moving to another EU country. And so then the, the longer I was in Paris, the more I realized, wait a minute, I actually need to learn another language. And French is a very important part of the French culture. It's not like, for example, in Finland, a lot of people speak English and, um, and they really accept speaking it. But in France, I feel like people have a lot of pride in their language.
0: So it's so important to speak French here. Definitely. So it was really, it was really hard. So aside from studying and whatnot, mm-hmm. What else has shaped your Parisian journey?
1: Well, I mean, the friends that I made here, of course, the, you know, studying was one aspect, but I met such amazing people while being here. And I actually got a job at a bar. So I was working at a bar for three years and that bar has now become my home. It's all my friends are there. I bring family. It's just, I mean, without it, I I don't know if I would have stayed in Paris as long as I i have oh really yeah yeah actually i wanted to leave in the first year um well i used to have five-year roommates one left the other one left two years in so i was really the last one standing and i i was teetering teetering leaving just i couldn't do that. <laughs> it it's like it's so hard to make friends here so that's why i was thinking about leaving
0: yeah it's yeah. It's twofold. It's hard to make friends and then it's hard to keep friends because people are constantly leaving, you know? And yeah, it's as well. like, yeah. And it's like, okay, how do you stick around the long-termers or how do you, yeah. How do you stick around the long-termers and how do you predict who's going to stay here long-term? It's those the people that, mm-hmm. um, surprises you that are oh. silly first.
1: Yeah, exactly. But I'm happy I stuck around because I definitely met have made from friends for life who are staying in Paris for um, the as the unforeseeable future, the foreseeable future. Um, yeah, so they're staying, sticking around for a long time.
0: Cool. Cool. And so, can you describe this bar scene? Was it in you know uh, an international bar scene? Was it a French bar? Like, uh, did you learn French working there? Were you constantly dealing with French clients and things like that? Did you have to learn on the on the road or whatever, whatever the expression is?
1: Uh, well, I mean, I came there with no French skills whatsoever. And I mean, you soon realize that, yeah, all the clients were, they were French. It's an American bar. So it's called Tennessee, Paris. And so an American bar, definitely. Uh, but the clientele are not American <laughs> and usually not international people. When I was working there, it was a lot of the neighborhood, um I guess people who are living in the neighborhood, and they just come into the bar, bringing their friends, um people from work, and because they do a lot of after afterworks too. After work is a huge thing in French culture, like having drinks after work um, to explain it. So, yeah, I started learning really fast just how to speak bar French., uh, it took me a while before I started learning actual conversational French. That wasn't how to serve somebody else <laughs> alcohol. I actually how to speak to people and discuss myself and my life. What's Ah, uh, Well, it, for example, um, I don't know. I can't even think anymore. But, um, like, qu'est-ce que vous voulez boire? Ah oui, une pinte. Je dois changer le feu. Things like that. <laughs> Just like, I, have to, I mean, to translate, it's like, what, would, what do you want to drink? A pint? I have to go change a keg. I'd be right back. So I even learned how to say I lost my voice because I had this was pre-COVID, so people weren't scared of, um, weren't as you know scared if somebody showed little signs of illness. But yeah, I'd lost my voice, and I was trying to chug through the a shift, but I I could not speak. I had completely lost it, so I had to learn how to whisper that to people <laughs> in French.
0: Sounds difficult. Yeah, having to whisper already in French, a language is so like you know. People love it to, was tricky, yeah, yeah. Where people love to murmur and whatnot. Cool. So we met while we were both uh, interning at Studio Canal. We were in different departments, but as a fellow American, you know, we quickly found each other. Can you tell me, like, how was that, like, interning in a major French distribution and film production and company?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it was a really interesting experience, especially because. My internship at Studio Canal had come right after an internship at a very small French startup. So the experience in itself was completely different, but I, I liked it so much. I mean, but the thing is, I, um, I wasn't working in the French film department. I was actually working in the international film department. So everybody in the office was French. And this is actually very common in a lot of office buildings. If the corporate language is English, the, the language within the French office is going to be French. Even if the whole company will speak English, if that makes sense. So, in our meetings, we'd speak English, but then in the office, when we were having drinks and stuff, it would be in French. Did I find it odd to speak French in the office? I mean, a tad bit. Um, it, it was a t- more hard to socialize. I mean, I, I could listen and laugh, but it was so hard to kind of describe who I was and. And also, we um. This one time, we were watching a movie because the Studio Canal office has a huge cinema and then you can watch all these films there. And so I was invited to watch one of the, the upcoming film releases, the French one, but it was before that, put subtitles. <laughs> so I was sitting there, one of the only four, I think, I don't know how many other people didn't speak really, really good French in the office, but I was just sitting there trying to understand this movie. And then I had to go back and get, give feedback on it. And I you know I was so lost what was happening in the movie but I mean, luckily, you know, film is a visual. So I just, I mean, I understood it visually. Technically, I think a film needs to stand on itself without any any sound. So you should be able to kind of get the, get the gist of things just by watching it.
0: Yeah. What movie was that? Or is it under wraps? Uh,
1: it was the Black Box. The Pierre Ninet. Pierre Ninet oh, film? yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. He's like hot. Yeah. Right now.
1: Cool. yeah, he is. So I got to see that film before and I felt... I of course I didn't tell anybody about it, but whenever somebody mentioned it, I was like.
0: So <laughs> the exact <execs. laughs> yeah. so after Studio Canal, you decided to launch your own company. Can you tell me a little about that and like what it's like starting a brand new company in a foreign country?
1: Yeah. Um, well, actually, I want to preface the this whole story by saying that I actually did kind of have a have an in to what I was doing before I started my company. So back in, I think, 2015, I was working with Messy Messy Chic, and now she's an influencer in Paris, or she was an influencer back then, Um, but yeah, she was an influencer in Paris. And so I began to freelance for her. And so I already understood a little bit about social media within Paris and then how to freelance in Paris through that experience. And she's been absolutely amazing referring clients and friends and so... So she helped a lot and she shaped my life in Paris so much. I'm eternally grateful for her. But then I started my own company and I basically started it with no understanding of how a company is formed at all. And so I had to choose the structure of my company then I had to find out who to build my company, like who could help me because in France, it's either an accountant, a lawyer, or then I used a special firm that helped me build my company.
0: So there's different, you know, tracks you can take to build a company in France. So how did you manage with all the paperwork? And I imagine you're dealing with paperwork in a language that was, you know, even more challenging than your average mm-hmm. French. Cause like French legal jargon is no fun. And it's, <laughs> it's not the same as the French you learned in school. tricky. Yeah, no, not at all. But
1: I mean, I want to say even French people don't necessarily know what's happening. So I thought asking a resident French person or a French friend of mine um, some help about creating a company, I realized that my experience in researching about companies ha- led me to have more experience than they did. So they actually couldn't help me at all. What they could help me was with word choices. But yeah, <laughs> um, like, for example, I had you have to describe the activity of your company when you're creating a company, and so I had used a couple other companies' their format and written mine, and a couple people had approved it, and then I had asked a French friend, and he goes, "You can't write any of that. Like that's not a, a good thing to write, or something, or the word choice is poor." But then my lawyer said it was the perfect word choice. So it goes to show how, you know, there's there's that disconnect as well, and you have to really trust your own gut too, and. And whatnot.
0: And you also need to have the right team around you, right? And having a lawyer uh, on call or having a lawyer in your team that knows the proper jargon or what all the rules are in the nitty gritty and or you know, know how to search about it is very, mm-hmm. very important. And that's a testament to your work as a leader. And I imagine that with your your digital marketing company, you probably had to really find and cultivate a strong team.
1: I mean, definitely. And and the thing about having a company is you can't, because there's different structures and you can do like an auto auto entrepreneur, which is you're by yourself. Or what I did is I actually did a company. So then I would be the sole shareholder of the company. I have an EURL. And so you really can't skip out on having people on your team. You can't miss out on an accountant. You need to have, you need to talk to lawyers, um, which I'm so happy about. And I'm really happy because I thought I had gone over the hardest part a few months into starting my company, and then at the end of the year, I was wrapping up my company, like you know, my first year of activity, and uh, the amount of paperwork I had to do was insane. I didn't even know I had to do any of that. I was just receiving letters upon letters about things I had to pay, and and I it was so, it's horrible. I had no idea what I was doing, and. I was calling Ampo, which is the tax service. I was calling Mursaf, which is social security. I was trying to have them explain to me things because I couldn't even find where to pay. And they're like, oh, because there's no place to pay. You actually have to do a wire transfer and we'll give you the information for that. So there's no way to do it online. And it was just, it was a wild ride. <laughs>
0: do you have a mentor for all this?
1: No, no, I don't. I wish I did. Um I really wish I did. I had asked more people for some more advice, but I'm just—I'm just the type of person where I just research and kind of do a what's it when you fail and then you figure it out, try trial and error. I'm a trial and error type of person. So, and um, yeah, so that's kind of what I did. But I mean, people were helping, of course, I had accountants and friends, um, you know, like support system, definitely, but. I just kind of let myself make a lot of mistakes.
0: I think it's the learning curve of starting a new business. You know, what you do year one is going to change drastically um, from year two and year three. Every obstacle, every challenge is uh, a chance to learn and grow. And I remember when I wanted, I contemplated starting a EURL. I remember I had Mm -hmm. plenty of questions for you. And then I quickly realized that perhaps I should not start an EURL because I just realized (laughs) there's just way too much for what I wanted to do. And yeah i just yeah so praise the people who do it um particularly (laughs) like the non-native french speakers because that it just seems so challenging so challenging and even having to deal or even having to find an accountant who is perfectly bilingual oh mine is not
1: bilingual (laughs) mine only speaks french yeah it's it's absolutely hilarious (laughs) when we talk i have to explain myself or over and over again because I just don't have the vocabulary to say exactly what I want to say
0: mm-hmm. yeah and then I can't imagine the American taxes that come into play with all that so it's scary it's scary all the people I mean, yeah it's it's tricky
1: but I think um you're not an entrepreneur yeah
0: no I am yeah that's what I, that's what I'm doing inside. okay mm-hmm. yeah it's a I'm, much sure, I'm sure you
1: chose a, yeah a good choice yeah because you can mm-hmm. always go up there's no issue there. Once you expand or anything, you know, there's no problem to, to, you know, yeah. work, do what you were all after.
0: So. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. I mean, I can exactly. always grow from it, but the, mm-hmm. I think even with the ultimate entrepreneur status, like I'm learning the ins and outs of it as I go along, as I go through it. And it's not as difficult as, you know, S or SAS, mm-hmm. SARL or statue, statue yeah. that you were doing, but There are some things that, you know, I did not anticipate. And as I continue to read the blogs and message forums, I see that. I see the patterns, you know, I think now I know what questions to ask, what to look out for and whatnot, but it does require some time. And perhaps by the time I am ready for an EURL, I'll have a better level of French. And so I'll have a better understanding of all the legalities that go into owning a, Mm -hmm. a French company of that magnitude. Well, cool. So, yeah, fantastic. This is essentially year five for you in France, and so after five years, you are a business owner. What's next for you?
1: What is next? That's a great question. I'm gonna keep on doing this company.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I I love it. It's, I mean, it's it's challenging, but you know, it's it's what I love to do. I love to be creative. I can imagine waking up and not being able to create something or uh, film something or whatnot, but I'm basically trying to just figure out what, what I want out of the company, if that makes sense. So since, I mean, it's year five, I mean, I'm about to hit year six, this, this upcoming, i um, August six like years since I came to Paris and I mean, I, I did my whole university. I did my marketing, my marketing master's degree. I did all my internships and I just joined the workforce. I have so much to learn. So I'm wondering if, you know, maybe I could join a French company and learn some some more. I, I think I, I, there's, no, there's no way you can't spend your whole life learning new things. So I think why not have the company on the side, work on that, but then be able to grow and learn as a, as a professional as well.
0: No, that's definitely smart. That's very, very interesting because you learn from within, right? And you know what to replicate and what not to replicate and how to optimize time and resources.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I don't have anybody to really, I don't have any rapport with anybody. So it's very hard to grow when you're stuck in your own, I guess, in your own mind and your own your own knowledge system and base and, and whatnot. So I'd love to learn from other people because you can Google as much as you want, but it's invaluable to speak to others.
0: And you can also learn by trial and error, which is essentially what you're doing uh, with your own, you know, entrepreneurial project. But still, it's nice to have the two sides. And that's something, you know, I think a lot of people struggle with, myself included. So you started your company here in France. Is there anything you wish you had known beforehand?
1: Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So I had met another entrepreneur. He he does um, cocktail photography. And so we were talking about what it's like to be a young entrepreneur in France, having an EURL. And he mentioned a program. I think it's a program. It's for under twenty-five starting an EURL. It's called Lac. So L apostrophe A C C R E, and essentially, it's a way for um, people who are under twenty-five to not have to pay as has high taxes on their on their business. So social security and other taxes get basically avoided.
0: (laughs) That could really help a lot of people.
1: Oh yeah, definitely.
0: I think when I started my uh, auto-entrepreneur status, I had no idea about this. And it's only something I really learned about in the recent months. And now I'm I'm, I'm no longer (laughs) eligible. That's always how it happens. You you find out, you know, a bit too late after the game and whatnot. And that's why I think it's so important to, like, talk to people like yourself Mm -hmm. um, who are in it and who are, you know, in the game and doing entrepreneurial projects and whatnot. Because I think it's great to learn from other people's uh, mistakes, but also achievements.
1: Oh, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Cool. And, um, oh, and also I did want to mention that the act is, um, I was speaking to somebody in, in the tax center and they said that it's valid. I think it's valid three months after the creation of your URL. So if you, for, for example, forget to do it at the beginning or didn't know about it, I think, I believe you do still have that three months to, um, talk to somebody and organize it. So
0: Perfect. not all hope is lost. And so you said that you like to create all the time. Do you think Paris is a place that allows you to create and allows you to be creative? Because a lot of people come here, you know, to pursue creative industries. And I don't know if, you know, that holds the same light as it once did 20 years ago, 30 years ago. But do you think the Paris of today is a place where you can be innovative, creative and um, imaginative?
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. Paris is definitely a place to be creative and imaginative. I mean. I found somebody, I found a group of people who every week, they go paint, paint something somewhere. I don't necessarily know what they're painting, but um, they go out there and they paint something and they have a wine and apero. And I mean, I'm not a painter myself, but it's a chance to be creative and um, you can do pottery. And I mean, even, and this people, I feel like people always underestimate the power of social media and becoming a content creator But the way that Paris, for example, the restaurant culture is structured, it's such a great place to create content. I mean, restaurants, they're decorated in a way that you can take nice pictures and the food is presented nicely. That's not necessarily always a given. And even that in itself is being creative, finding places and being inspired by cuisine and restaurants. And Paris is a city.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Emily is Not in Paris, the podcast. If you like this episode, please don't hesitate to share it with friends and family. And follow us on Instagram at Emily is Not in Paris, the podcast. And follow me at The Queen Fatima on Instagram as well.